So you don't want to read those journals. No, 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 not at all. Especially as a guy. I don't, I'm, I'm staying out of that one, all right? <laughs> when it comes to anything, I just know women's bodies, pregnancy, I am just silent, okay? I, just, I wish all men would be. Yeah, I just... This is Ordinary Voices, inviting ordinary people into conversations about life and faith. I'm your host, Eric Elkin. I created this podcast to help me, a pastor, better understand people and the way they view the world. Now I'm inviting you into the conversation so together we might search for expressions of hope in daily life. Guests on this show are not authorities. They're simply people willing to share with us the authenticity of their own thoughts. I try to provide the guests freedom to talk and let them determine the direction of the conversation. Then I provide a spiritual reflection on the things I heard my guests say. Each show, I ask listeners to listen like a good camp counselor. Good camp counselors allow children to express themselves without judgment. They listen for what the camper is trying to say. People who listen tend to understand each other better, and we live in a world desperate for ears. This show is part two of a two-part show, It's Her Story. Shortly after the Women's March in January of 2017, Janine Cabrera went on Facebook and shared her story of motherhood. She posted her story in response to critics who were trying to frame the march as a pro-abortion rally for women who hated men and wanted to kill babies. Her story was long, painful, and complicated. In order to do it justice, I decided to break it up into two parts. In the first part, she provided the details behind her difficult journey, the difficult journey through multiple miscarriages and the death of her two boys, Matthew and Jacob, who both died shortly after birth. Frustrated, heartbroken, and ready to move on, Janine set a deadline with her husband, Ivan. She would stop trying to get pregnant after her 37th birthday. Feeling sick to her stomach, though, she decided to take an old pregnancy test. Incredibly, she discovered she was pregnant. This news is amazing, a sign from God. But Janine is no longer 20 years old. As we learned in the first show, getting pregnant was not her problem. Getting the baby to go full term was. Now, in the midst of joy, the reality is her body has been through a number of surgeries, a number of treatments and miscarriages. She's tried what seems like every special treatment and drug known to doctors. So what's going to be different this time? We pick up the story with Janine and Ivan, full of hope, going to share the good news with their doctor. Let's listen. We were all excited and we were like, okay, your body rested for five years and, you know, oh my goodness, this is time. I knew it. It's all about God and God's planning. You know, we weren't ready. There was too much going on in our life at that time. And, you know, we were just so full with hope. And um, we went into into the appointment and my doctor came in and saw us sitting there. And when he saw my face, he just kind of slumped against the wall and put his hand on his head and he said, oh, I didn't realize it was you guys. Oh, no. And it kind of just took the rug from under my feet just to see his reaction. 
I'm thinking that my body will be stronger. You know, what do you think? And he said, I don't think there's anything more I can do for you. And I said, well, five years ago, you guys told me there was, you know, all this stuff and you can lay me upside down. And what happened? <laughs> you know, I'm afraid. I don't want to take on the liability and the risk, you know, my insurances. He was very frank with me, you know, and right. we had a very real conversation. And he said, you know, what kind of insurance do you have now? And I said, well, I left my job. My husband's self-employed, and we have really crappy insurance. So he said, uh, you know, let me make some phone calls and see what we can do and see where I can refer you to. So he left, and I just broke down crying. And my husband said, why are you crying? What's going on? And I was angry. All that healing that I had went through in these years came back like, I mean, with a vengeance. I, I, I let off a, a, a firestorm of curses in that office that day. And so we left the doctor's office that day and my doctor started making a bunch of phone calls and he gave me this long list of, you know, the best doctors and told me, research them, see who you want to go with, call them up and, and take it from there. So that's what I did. Um, I researched. I saw these these wonderful stories and reviews of women who had success. And, and I picked the doctors that I thought were the best. And I called up their offices and they said, I'm sorry, we won't take your coverage for what we have to do. And I just kept hearing that over and over and over. Mm-hmm. We won't accept your insurance. We won't accept your insurance. We won't accept your insurance. I'm not any further than I was from that first week of finding out I was pregnant, nothing's been done yet. And my regular OB doesn't even want to accept me as a patient. I can't even find someone to accept me as a patient right now because they're so afraid of malpractice. Janine made a choice not to go on birth control. She and Ivan made a choice to try one more time, but now the choices in their lives are not being made by them. A whole new wave of anger washes over her as their joy and hope get slammed by the realities of the world. This is her last shot at being a mother again. The window of opportunity is rapidly closing and no one cares. Well, maybe more people care than she realizes. Even when her phone calls don't work, Others are calling on her behalf. My, my original OB referred me back to that high-risk doctor who had done my vaginal cerclage. And we went for an appointment with him, and he was a great doctor. Um, and he was very frank with us also. And he said, you know, there's a lot of research coming out of Manhattan right now. Um, but I, you have horrible insurance. I don't know who's going to accept you. So I'm going to do the same thing your doctor did, and I'm going to try to make some phone calls and see if, if anybody's willing to do me a favor and take on your case. I'll call them directly. And then I got a phone call out of the blue from a woman named Magda Brown, who was an, a nurse, and she said that she used to work at that high-risk doctor's office, Dr. Webby, Webby's office. And she said, you know, I work at Columbia now. And Dr. Webby gave me a call. We're a research hospital. These are the cases we go after because, they, you know, this is what we need. We need this research. She said, you're a perfect case. And I said, well, what about my insurance? And she said, your insurance will probably give us a couple of hundred bucks. 
before what we're going to be doing with you, you know, this is, this is all on the hospital at this point. And I just, I, I was hysterical crying with joy. I just couldn't believe what she was telling me. We're going to have you come in. We're going to sit with the medical team and talk about this new procedure we're doing, which is called a transabdominal cerclage. It's done laparoscopically with robotics, and we're going to go in through your stomach, and we're going to stitch up your entire cervix from the top down. She said, the only problem is that it's normally done before you get pregnant, and you're already 10 weeks pregnant. So there's a risk of miscarriage because we're, we're basically cutting you open. And um, if you're willing to accept that risk, we have the best doctor here. He thinks he can do it. He'd like to get you in as soon as possible. His name was uh, Dr. Advincula had this amazing reputation. I researched him. He's like world-renowned doctor. He had a part in developing laparoscopic technology. Columbia University offers hope now, except their now means now, like right now. Janine wasn't planning on this. There's laundry to be done. The laundry is a cover for the deeper issue. Her mind isn't ready for what her body will need to go through. Let's listen. We left on a Friday evening after the the consultation. And like I said, as we got in the car, they called us and said, we scheduled you Monday for surgery. And I, I was just trembling. I was like, I have a load of laundry to do and, and um, surgery on Monday, you know, I, there's so much going on and, and my mother's in Georgia and, you know, I, I just, I wasn't ready. So my husband, you know, the voice of reason again said, don't worry, it's all going to work out. Tell them you'll be there Monday morning. We're going to get you in. We'll figure it all out. I'll do the laundry. Don't worry about it. And that's what we did. My mother was on the next flight home and uh, Monday morning, I went in seven in the morning and had this surgery that I was completely not prepared for. It was a horrible surgery and it, it really beat me up. I thought that it was going to be, you know, like the vaginal cerclage where I went home and I little cramping and I was fine back to, back to life. But this was a serious surgery. Um, you know, my, my, Walls had been cut open all the way to my my uterus, and they cut my bowel. And you know, I really didn't understand the depth of of this invasive, you know, new technology they were doing. I didn't understand what they were doing, and really didn't have enough time to research it. But I was just so relieved that it was done. But I had a long recovery, you know, over six weeks of recovery, agony, a lot of pain. And- husband started panicking you know because we live on Staten Island and now we're going up to Columbia University which is all the way in Washington Heights Mm -hmm. so it's like a $40 toll $40 in tolls every time we go up I had to go up about three times a week and my husband said what are we going to do I need to work this is an all-day affair every time we come up here we're here for the whole day because it's a teaching hospital so you every time you go in for an appointment you're talking to three people This is what the world doesn't understand about New York City. 
It costs them $40 to travel 25 miles and they never leave the city. Ivan has been a constant source of strength throughout this whole ordeal, but now he is hitting his breaking point. The hospital is offering this amazing deal for them, and yet he can't even afford that because he needs to work. I wonder what level of guilt and shame it produces in him. He's the provider, and he can't provide when his wife needs it the most. Ivan's confronted with another choice. Continue, and they won't have money. Stop, and it could mean the baby's life. in by a social worker one day and my husband just kind of vented to her and she said you know is there anything we can do to help and my husband said I don't know how I'm going to feed my family in a month you know this is great that you guys have taken on this care and she got this surgery but we spend four or five days out of the week here and I'm I can't get anything done I'm not working I'm not you know I can't oversee my guys I need to make money you know is there anything we can do to kind of, you know, expedite her appointments, you know, being that we're here so many days a week? And the social worker was amazing. Hmm. And she said, well, let me let me start calling your insurance. And my husband and I looked at each other. We were like, back to the insurance? <laughs> you know, great. Here we are. She said, look, this is what you need to do. You need to call and fight and try to get a case manager and tell them that you've gotten this far and you need them to kind of pick up the slack. You know, the hospital has taken on all of this and she kind of gave me the verbiage of what to say. And she said, and don't take no for an answer. Keep calling, keep calling. So I kept calling, asking for a case manager. No one would call me back. I would get the runaround. I would be told I, I wasn't, you know, eligible for a case manager. And then finally, one day somebody did put me through to a case manager and I went through my whole story with her and she, she was wonderful. She said, you know, I'm so sorry that you've experienced this. And she actually put me through to the president of, of, of hip care. And, and he called me and apologized and said, I'm so sorry that, you know, Columbia has been the one who has spearheaded all this care for you. I'd like to be able to offer you some support services as well. You know, what can we do? And my social worker said, well, her husband can't be here at every appointment. Maybe you guys can send, you know, some kind of taxiing service for her, like uh, Accessoride or something. And they said, absolutely. We have a company we work with that could pick her up in Staten Island and we'll set her up. And that was like, you know, the holy, you know, <laughs> like what? <laughs> The medications, again, you know, they, they, the hospital said, you know, we, we can cover this, we can cover that, but your insurance only covers these generic versions of these medications, and we don't think they're safe. You know, it, women have gotten sick from taking these generic versions of meds. Um, they allow any pharmacy that does compounding to, to create them, and they don't always have the ingredients they need, and they mass produce them, and they're not built for these, this type of mass production, and and women get sick. I think it was Listeria some women had, had developed and, and had died. There was like a big scandal about it. Co what Columbia stated was, we don't know what's in that medication. We don't know if all the ingredients are in that medication. So that was alarming to me because I had already been on two rounds of that medication, being pick, pick, picking it up from local compounding pharmacies. And I said, well, here I was on this med for two, two years, and who knows if it was even helping me or doing anything for me, you know? That was that was the first big win with my insurance that they decided to cover the the 
official brand of progesterone hormone. Try to imagine yourself in Janine's position. We've heard the devastating physical and emotional toll this journey has had on her mind and body. Now she finds out the treatments she had been prescribed are at best ineffective, at worst, dangerous. How does a patient know whether or not they can trust what's going into their body? How can an insurance company approve treatments doctors find unsafe, but reject treatments that are? If it had not been for Columbia University Medical Center, Janine would have been forced to have her baby in the living room of her own house without any medical attention. It's important to take note of this because this part of her experience is formative to how Janine views the term pro-choice. I want to take a minute to thank you for listening to this show. Ordinary Voices is a place for people searching for spiritual meaning in daily life. We're invited into the lives of ordinary people like Janine with the thought we might find some of our own struggles in these stories or be challenged to reframe our views. Either way, in reflection upon these voices, you might just discover hope. If you like what you hear, there are three ways you can help. One is to listen, and if you're hearing this plug right now, you're already successful on step number one. Second is to share it with a friend, or to recommend it. Your recommendation is worth gold. The third is to financially support the production, because this is a listener-supported show. Please consider financially supporting it by clicking on the Donate button on the website, www.ordinaryvoices.org. That's www.ordinaryvoices.org. If you're looking for more, you can go to the website to find other shows or to sign up for the daily reflections. Thanks again for listening. Now let's return to Janine. With the baby on the way, Janine discovers a different kind of grief, one she hadn't thought of before. part of the pregnancy was that we were so nervous to share our joy with people that we were pregnant that I was like hiding out. I was like in seclusion. No one knew we were expecting. Mm. And that's, that's my only regret of this pregnancy was that I didn't get to really enjoy it because we were just so nervous and we didn't want to have to share this news and then tell everyone we lost it again and feel people's pity and, you know, all this this pain that comes with it. But in doing so, I didn't get to have my birth announcement and, you know, the, the gender reveal and all these things and, uh, and my maternity shoot, you know, we didn't want to allow ourselves to get too excited and invested in it until, you know, we knew what was going to happen. Columbia did all this genetic testing. Everything came back normal. The baby was perfect. They couldn't find any reason why Ivan and I had delivered early or lost these babies. So still no answers, but good news nonetheless that, you know, there was nothing critical that, you know, to interfere with this pregnancy. And um, Columbia kept saying, this baby's coming, prepare yourself. This baby's coming. And no matter how many times they said that, I would just say, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. And it kind of kept me detached, you know, from the baby. I, I realized that I, it, it was not the same bonding experience, you know, where with Matthew and Jacob, I had their names at six weeks picked out. Right. I could not pick a name for this baby. 
I, I just could not figure out what I wanted to name her. So not having her name kind of, you know, it was hard to, to say, hi, baby, you know, and bond with her in that way. And by the time people did find out, you know, when I, I finally, I think I was like seven months where I posted a picture on Facebook and people were just like in shock, like, wait a minute, what's going my family, you know, what's going on? How are you seven months pregnant right now? You know, um, so it was already like at the end of the pregnancy, I, I you know, I really didn't get to enjoy that, that part of it. The end of the tunnel is within sight. Okay, those are Janine's words, not mine. But once again, to deliver this baby, she will be cut open one more time. The plans are set, preparations made, mom's coming in from Georgia. Every detail has been checked and double-checked. Well, not everything. You haven't figured it out now. Nothing in Janine and Ivan's life comes easy. Except now, the ability to laugh. scheduled us for the c-section they said well you can't give birth because your entire cervix is stitched up and it will stay that way for the rest of your life we're not taking that out um so that was a little nerve-wracking to realize okay now i have to have another surgery and be cut open again and but i couldn't believe we were scheduling the c-section i couldn't believe we were you know coming to the end of the tunnel at this point it just seems so surreal and uh I told mom, you know, this is the date of the C-section. Book your flight. You better be here. You know, you're you're, you're staying here for a month. You're not going home. And uh, the day that we were scheduled to go in for the C-section, we were just beside ourselves. My stepdaughters came in with us. And, um, you know, we had so many people rooting for us and so excited. And, you know, there was definitely a, a, a better understanding of what we needed now from our support network, where people kind of gave us space in the past. People were asking, what do you need? You know, can we go to the hospital? And it was, you know, absolutely come to the hospital, be there, support us. You know, right. we wanted our support network there with us. And, um, you know, I told my husband the night before, make sure the car's filled with gas. I was all packed. My bags were ready get on the highway, mom's flying in that morning, we're on the turnpike, and we run out of gas. You know, my husband was so preoccupied (laughs) with everything that was going on (laughs) that he forgot to get the gas after I told him 10 times to get the gas the night before. So, you know, in the past, my temper, I think I would have lost it. My nerves, you know, my anxiety, I would have been like, what do you mean you forgot to get the gas? But that morning, all I could do was laugh, you know. Life has really showed me that I took way too many years too serious, you know. There was so much more time to laugh at things than to to be upset about them. And my stepdaughters were just cracking up and and saying, I can't believe you're laughing right now. I'm like, well, let's take some selfies. This is going in the baby book, you know. We're going to document this whole experience. And we're going to enjoy the hell out of it, whatever happens. I'm enjoying this, you know, and that's what we did. We took selfies of AAA filling us up with gas. And, (laughs) you know, I said, we'll get there when we get there. You know, the baby's trapped inside and, you know, she's not coming out. So when we arrive, we arrive. And thank God we got there on time and checked in and everything went so smoothly. Mom was there. 
and I had about like 20, 30 people waiting downstairs in, in the waiting area, you know, for news of this baby to come. And my pastor was there. He came and the C-section happened. And hearing that cry was surreal. It was just, I cried so hysterically for almost 30 minutes that the doctor came in and asked my husband, you know, is everything okay? What? Why is she crying so much? And my husband just said, you have no idea. You have no idea of the journey that we have had. I cannot believe this baby's here. And I mean, I just couldn't stop crying. You know, they took me into recovery and let me hold the baby. And I was just still crying, you know, just overcome with this emotion that this baby was, was really here and, and it was over. This experience was over. This miracle baby, you know, survived and made it. And it just everything just made sense at that moment, you know, right. why it didn't happen for us in the past and, you know, how spiritually immature I still was as much as I thought that I was this wonderful Christian, you know, I wasn't. And I was broken and I, I had a lot of healing that my soul needed to do to get me to the point that I was at that day. You know, it took me a lot of years to really realize that, that I, I, I couldn't sit in silence. I couldn't listen for God's word, because I was so busy trying to, to live what I thought he expected of me, you know? Right. And when I finally found myself in that silence, it was scary. I was so busy pushing things and, and, and wanting to take control of my life and, and, and make things happen when I felt they should happen for me and, you know, feeling like a failure when they didn't happen. But now I, I can look back and say, you know, it was never about my timing. It was about his timing. It was about God's timing. It was about the journey he needed me to go through. Janine's Reflection presents an interesting question for all of us. How comfortable are you with the silence? In the midst of the journey of life, are you comfortable with the silence necessary to hear the still small voice of God? Or are you filling your life with busyness to avoid the conversation and to avoid the silence? Now that the journey is over, we go back to where the show began. Janine shared her story in response to criticisms of the Women's March. Some critics were trying to limit the framework of choice to abortion. This is where I really, really want you to listen like a good camp counselor. Remember, this show is about letting people share the authenticity of their own thoughts. Listen in silence to a woman who is a profound person of faith has put her body through absolute hell for 17 years just to have a daughter. Let's listen. It was about the things he needed me to write about and expose and, and talk about the healthcare industry and the struggles I went through with my insurances and, you know, all these decisions now that are coming about, you know, that, that, are in politics of wanting to make healthcare decisions for women. And, you know, people really don't understand the journeys that happen and, and the complexity of women issues. Even I didn't, and I'm a woman and you still don't understand all the different things that can occur with your health, right. you know, and, you know, it's really a personal decision between a woman and her family and her medical team and no one else should be involved in those decisions. There should be no politics, you know. I, I think that's the worst part of the pro-life movement is that 
There's so much that's not taken into consideration. So much shame is put on the woman to just move forward, you know, do or die, whether it's it risks the woman's life, whether, you know, they take into consideration that, you know, a woman finds out late, you know, gestation-wise that this baby is is going to be handicapped and, you know, maybe they don't have the best insurance or who, a support network, maybe like me, my mother's in Georgia, they have no one around them. Who's going to care for this baby? Is the husband going to stay around? Does the mom become a single mom? You know, no one thinks about these things. And then what? You're forced to go on on government assistance. You have to leave your job to take care of a handicapped baby. Now you're ridiculed and shamed because you're on public assistance and Medicaid. And, you know, there, there's there's no foresight to the extended, you know, experience of what women go through when trying to make these decisions. And these decisions are usually made under duress and pressure and, and with, you know, you need an answer. There's all these doctors coming in and they're telling you all these things and, you know, you, you don't understand what they're saying and these, these medical terms and these, these insurance terms and, you know, you got to make a phone call, call you, call this, get this pre-approved and, you and know, it's all very overwhelming. And you're educated. I say that all the time. I say that all the time that I was able to navigate myself through this. I was able to keep a detailed record of my experience. How many women are not that fortunate? They, they, they depend on their medical team to really give them the best care. And looking back on it now, you know, through Columbia, I learned so much, you know, like for instance, my, my local OB had me on blood thinners. I was taking these horrible blood thinners every night, injecting my belly, awful pain. And Columbia said, that research is so outdated. The blood thinners do nothing to keep you from miscarrying. You know, and here is something that my insurance said, we'll cover the blood thinners, but we're not going to cover the progesterone. But yet no one is sharing this information. No one is sharing this research with these OBs who women in local communities depend on because they can't get to New York or they can't get to Columbia. What do women in other states do? You know, they depend on their medical team. So there, there really is, you know, nationwide, universally, there's no communication going on. There's, there's no, you know, real quality of care, borderline or baseline that people are following. Every doctor is just, you know, going with what last research they heard. And we, we put our lives in the hands of these people. And then politicians want to come from the other side and say, well, now we're going to take this decision and make it for you. We're going to tell you, you have to do this. So you have to do that. When yet the medical doctors themselves don't even have all of the facts that they need. So how can a politician make these decisions when even my own doctor was making mistakes with my care and giving me, you know, these these blood thinners that cause so many other side effects? You know, I'm injecting this into my belly every night and trusting that he's guiding me the right way. The emotions of her experience are hard to hold back, but she just wants to share what she has learned. You can choose to pick apart Janine's words, but if you're listening, she offers three incredible insights. One is shame. Janine feels like women continue to bear the burden of shame and responsibility when it comes to pregnancy, miscarriages, abortion, and parenting. It's important to note in the culture Janine was raised in, having children is an essential part of being a woman. I know because the same culture could never understand why Peggy and I didn't have children at the time. Several people even openly questioned me whether everything was functioning. If you're listening to Janine, 
the shadow of the shame was apparent in everything she shared with us. Outside voices rarely get to determine the validity of our shame. That is reserved for the thoughts in our own heads. Second, she raises the concern about laws. How can legislatures and insurance companies decide what is legal and appropriate when the medical field does not always agree? We don't even want the government telling us what insurance to buy, but somehow it's okay for the government to tell a woman how to use her body. Believing this does not mean you want an abortion. Third is her criticism of the pro-life movement for a lack of foresight to the extended experiences. The reality is we all view the issue of choice through the lens of our own experience, especially with pregnancy and birth. What I found fascinating about Janine's story was the informative way she expanded the narrative of choice. Choice is about medication. Choice is about a mother, her family, and her medical team making the best choice. Ultimately, it was Janine's choice to continue to try and have children. What I hear Janine calling attention to is this. Where do grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, compassion, and understanding play a role in the lives of women? mothers, children, fathers, and the culture as a whole. To be fair, there are some within the pro-life movement who are expanding their message beyond birth to health care, child care, mother care, and other issues. Now, before we leave Janine, let's end on a little lighter note. Not to make you feel bad. But you had made this point about saying, you know, you hadn't talked to your daughter the same way you talked to Matthew. And, and yeah. uh, so what's your daughter's name? Vivian Grace Lopez. Okay. <laughs> you keep on saying, my baby, my baby, my baby. So I'm, like, <laughs> I'm very possessive of her, right? <laughs> I know. You are. I got to tell you. Oh, my gosh. My husband actually said that to me. You know, do you know that you constantly call her my baby? You know, she's my baby, too. I said, look, it's, it's nothing personal, but that is my baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and since we're laughing now, too, just please tell me you didn't write your children's books during that angry period, okay? Because those oh, will be really bad children's books. <laughs> <laughs> I did, and I wrote a lot of journaling before I wrote the okay. <laughs> And there was mom all by herself, and no one came. <laughs> the end. <laughs> oh my gosh. They're actually oh. all pretty humorous. They all have, have a bit of Thank God, you know, my healing came through the humor, but yeah, not, nothing angry, no. See, you don't want to read those journals. No, 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 not at all. Especially as a guy. I don't, I'm, I'm staying out of that one, all right? <laughs> when it comes to anything, I just know women's bodies, pregnancy, I am just silent, okay? I just... I wish all men would be. Yeah, I just... The second part of the show was more difficult to produce. As I was reflecting upon our conversation, I thought about all the people in my life and how they might receive it, how they might feel judged by it, even though Janine just wanted to share her story. I thought about women who choose not to put their bodies through what Janine did. Will they feel judged because they didn't do enough? Will women who choose adoption feel judged as though adoption wasn't a viable option in the story? 
Will people judge Janine because she tenaciously fought for appropriate medical treatment, like she was asking for too much? How about the people who will feel offended by the passion of Janine's own feelings regarding choice? Will they judge her? How will people judge me? And they will. These feelings pointed me in the direction of the second chapter of Romans. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. We all judge through the lens of our own experience. When someone's experience is different, we feel as though our experience is being judged is not valid. So we attack, we counterjudge their judgment so as to disqualify it, but then we are only wanting our judgment to rule. Janine did not share her story to judge, even though the passion of her telling it may feel like it to some who are listening. What I heard her say in the passion of her story is this. Why can't we love people into the decisions that will produce life, and life for all? Why does it always have to be a law, a judgment, and a shadow of shame? Ultimately, judging is not our job, but God's. We're given the more difficult task to find ways to share God's grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, compassion, and understanding, so all of God's children might know the fullness of life. I pray you will know the fullness of life, like little Vivian and her family. I want to thank you for listening and I want to thank Janine for sharing. May God's richest blessing fill her heart and home with joy. Join me next time when I talk to Dr. Tom. <laughs> Dr. Tom, is that a great soap opera name? Anyway, I talked to Dr. Tom because I thought it might be interesting to hear an OB's version of his struggles with birth, insurance, and medical malpractice. Until then, be gracious, merciful, and abounding in steadfast love because your neighbor needs it and so do you. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend. People are hungry for a spiritual conversation and a deep need of finding hope. Remember, sharing is caring. <laughs> Go to the website ordinaryvoices.org. That's ordinaryvoices.org to find other shows and to sign up for the daily devotions. This is a listener-supported show. If you enjoy it, please consider financially supporting it by clicking the donate button on the website, ordinaryvoices.org. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back with you soon.